Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the August 28, 2022 session, focusing on Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Cracked Cisterns. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Bert Montgomery. And I'm Daniel Glaze. It's been a really hot summer. I mean, not just not just around here, but I mean, like in Europe, they've had some incredibly hot weather this summer, and a lot of their a lot of those regions, they're not set up for it, right? I mean, they, they're used to days in the 70s. They don't even have air conditioning in a lot of Spain, for example. Um, so, I mean, it's been hot. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, have you found a, a way to stay cool these days? Well, to keep from running our air conditioner all the time uh, and, and try to keep it, you know, affordable. My wife and I have different temperatures anyway. She's very hot natured. She's very cold natured. I'm very hot natured. So she would have the air like off right now anyway. Um, and she'd say, oh, it's comfortable inside. And I'm like, you know, no. So um, we, we we set it around 75 or 76 where I would want it at 72 and she would want it at 80. And so we do that. But then she's she's taught me how to, to get little ice packs. And so when we're just sitting down watching TV and stuff, I put ice packs on my neck and yeah, on top of my head like some goofus. But hey. It cools me off. It, yeah. And she doesn't have to sit under a blanket. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a great answer because uh, un, apparently, unlike the rest of you on this podcast, I don't, I don't complain of being warm. Now, I hate being cold, hmm. but I can, you know, I can, I can be just fine with the, with the warmer temperatures. That said, the post work, but before supper, quick trip to the pool hmm. is uh we'll we'll get you through the rest of the night that's hmm. a, that's a good way to to cool off mm-hmm. we've we've enjoyed doing that here in the glaze household uh, i have employed cold showers hmm. wow. so yeah that's bracing like, i mean i'm not not like only cold but it's cool mm-hmm. um and i have found that helps in the morning um and i budget for a way too expensive electric bill (laughs) yeah it's just you know it's it goes up so yeah Yeah. and i keep a fan at my desk at work there's a little bitty fan like a usb plug-in fan and i have found that to be very helpful well i discovered this summer the wonders of a cooling towel it's it's a it's like made you can order i got mine on amazon but it's like made of this chamois like material like if you had a chamois to dry your car with it's a it's a kind of cloth that when it when it's dry it's almost stiff like a board but when you get it wet it absorbs water like crazy and so they have they have a version of that that you get the towel wet it's called a cooling towel and and you squeeze it out and then pop it and and it starts evaporating the water on it slowly, but the evaporation process makes the towel feel cold. And I just drape it around my neck if I'm out, you know, in the yard or if I'm grilling or taking a walk. We went on a hike, you know, uh, in the summer of this summer, we went to the Red River Gorge and did a hike. And I was, I was, I wouldn't say I'm comfortable, but I was certainly not overheating because I could take my towel and, you know, and if it starts getting where it doesn't feel as cool, you can pop it again. <laughs> And it re- reactivates it or pour a little more water on it, you know, and it, but it works great. 
So okay. I highly recommend Googling it. now. Yes, I'm, I'm going to have to get one of these. Data. They're awesome. What's the 800 yeah. number? <laughs> did you order that on the TV ordering show? No, I did not. I, I actually read. There are different kinds. So you could do some research. You did but research. You of just going to tell did. us what you researched. <laughs> you just send me the link. I'll send you the link. I'll okay, send you the send link. Because the, the one I got, I really like. So yeah, yeah. you could pick your color. So. <laughs> Wow. But no, they're awesome. They're awesome. So yeah, um, I highly recommend them. Well, it has been a hot summer. We are uh, August 28th is this session. It's the last of August. So maybe some of us will start seeing cooler weather soon, but we'll still be having our Bible study. So we are in Jeremiah today. Daniel, would you help get us started? Absolutely. Speaking of turning up the heat, <laughs> here's, here's Jeremiah. Oh boy. Man. I tell you what. So, uh, yeah, I'll be glad to uh, to lead us in this. And honestly, what a treasure we have in the Holy Scriptures. In the beginning, we have the story of how we and our world came to be. We have the beauty of the Psalms, the wisdom of Proverbs, the challenge and rebuke of the prophets, the stories of Jesus, letters written to loved ones trying to figure out how to do church together, and apocalyptic literature rendering good news to the oppressed and bad news to the empire. What's amazing to me is that whenever we read Scripture, inevitably the same thought enters my mind and heart. This is my story, too. These aren't simply dusty, ancient tales of people who lived long ago. This is my story. This is our story. So why do we tend to read Scripture, especially in worship services, as if we are reading a set of income tax instructions? My word. Have you ever heard this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, come on. In the Bible, there's sex, murder, intrigue, rebuke, hope, redemption, and through it all, love. You'd think we'd approach this book with a little more emotion. Well, whoever reads this passage from Isaiah in church better be prepared for some emotion. It's impossible to read these scriptures, really read them, read them honestly, without feeling God's heart break. It's crushing. I can barely get through it without being moved to tears. God is sad, angry, and hurt. And God's people don't even seem to care. And unlike us, perhaps, God really seems to take this betrayal personally. Renowned scholar Abraham Heschel writes, Israel's distress was more than a human tragedy. With Israel's distress came the affliction of God, his homelessness in the world. It's almost like Two lovers sitting on the edge of the bed, wondering how they went from the honeymoon to absolute betrayal. God says, I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. My people have changed their glory from something that does not profit. They gave up glory for garbage, royalty for rubbish, crowns for compost. 
One thing I find intriguing about this passage is the pronoun usage. God begins by talking about the ancestors of the people. What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless worthless things and became worthless themselves? They did not say, where is the Lord? But then God shifts to you. I brought you into a plentiful land to eat its fruits and good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land. I accuse you. In other words, this isn't just someone else's problem. This is about you. This change in pronouns also has the effect of bringing us into the story as well. The accusations, the betrayal, that's not simply the story of God's people long ago. It's my story too. In other words, that you, well, it's me. How many times have I gotten in the way of living into God's dream for me? How many times have I turned my back on God's faithfulness? How many times has our nation refused to live into the love, grace, peace, humility, and respect that so many of our religious traditions teach? How many times have I exchanged God's good gifts for garbage? But the fascinating thing is this. God doesn't give up. God never gives up. Even after all our betrayal, even after all our infidelity, even after all our chasing after the gods of money, sex, white supremacy, materialism, lust, power, and control, God still wants us back. This is where reading it aloud brings a tear to my eye. Despite all our unfaithfulness, even in the last verse of this passage, despite all we've done, God continues to call us my people. There is redemption. There is rescue. There is hope. Despite our infidelity, God will not give up on us. That's why I believe when we read even difficult passages like this, we can say the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And that's some background on our text for today. Daniel, thank you for getting us started on this challenging, emotional passage. And you're right, it is. It is a heart-wrenching passage where we get to see some of God's vulnerabilities, the places where God hurts because of God's love for us. I was very struck when you, you had a great little um, kind of a repetition where you said we gave up gifts for garbage and crowns for compost and something else. And I'm a Baptist minister. I, I got to do the alliteration. Well, listen, it worked. It you stuck. Know. Like we use it <laughs> for a reason. Uh, but I really thought, I thought one, that was awesome. Like I could hear your preacher man coming out. Um, and it was, it was very, very good. 
it really got me thinking through the rest of your like that's where I kind of got stuck and I kept kind of mulling that over for myself because that is the human condition. So many mm-hmm. of us easily give up good things for things that do not last. We give up eternal things for temporal things. And and I say that as a as a we, like I am a part of this too. And it just, it has me pondering that question. What is it that we are trying to do when we do that? What is it that we are trying to fill when we make these kinds of choices? Why do we give up eternity or things that are eternal for things Mm. that will not last? I I don't know. I don't know if I have a, a good answer to that, but it, what I do find interesting, well, oh, well, I do have a response, okay, okay, but maybe not an answer. So, you know, chapter one is is a lot of Jeremiah's background and call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Chapter two is his first sermon in the book, right. and so he uses his first sermon to, as you put it, uh, speak about something so universal here and so timeless, mm-hmm. and that is, we will chase after things that will not satisfy us. Yeah. And why we do this, I don't know, but it, I, I find myself getting into trouble almost, it's almost a sure thing when those times when I say, I, I know what's best. Mm. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a forgetting, a, a betrayal even of the one who created me and said, this is how my people live. And we say, yeah, but I want to do it this way. Yeah. 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 Jer- Jeremiah elsewhere, <laughs> if we can be a little graphic, um, and, and use a derogatory term, which is meant to be derogatory in Jeremiah for sex workers. Um, Jeremiah basically says we're all a bunch of wild whores looking for little lover gods under every single rock. <laughs> right? We are always chasing some new thrill. That's going to promise us stuff, which it makes it always makes me also think of, you know, the prophets are great at doing this, and they all say it in so many different ways. But the, the whole, the whole story of Hosea echoes what Jeremiah is saying, right? Here's Hosea representing God, who's married to a prostitute, who is going to continually have affairs, and Jeremiah, I mean, Hosea is going to name children things like, I don't know if you're my child or not. You know, that's going to be the name of the child. <laughs> You know, and in Hebrew, right, right, right. because and but this is who we are, and it, it it always reminds me this this whole imagery of the prophets and and lovers and God reminds me of um, Truman Capote's story, which got turned into a a feel good movie, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Except if you're familiar with that, you you understand Holly Golightly in Truman Capote's short story is. A, a sex worker in the movie. She's just a, a woman who has lots of affairs because they couldn't say prostitute. Uh, right. But uh, she, this guy falls madly in love with her and is willing to chase her and be with her. And the problem is she is so insecure. She will sabotage a true loving relationship because she just can't fathom that she's lovable. Right. Now, in the movie, it has a feel-good Hollywood ending, but the, the story ends like Hosea, 
it doesn't end on a happy note. Hosea's wife's going to keep doing what Hosea's wife is going to keep doing. Because we're so insecure and we, we, we're so geared toward having to, somebody has to earn our love, and then therefore we have to earn someone else's love, that we're so unlovable, that here is God who is going to love us no matter what, and we just can't accept it. We will run from it and, and sabotage it every chance we get. So when I was when I was studying for this, and I I read Heschel's uh, words on this, he 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 talks a lot about you know that our unfaithfulness is is frustrating to humanity, but it's heartbreaking to God, and because of the relationship that God has designed with us, it's just crushing. I love what he says. With Israel's distress came God's affliction, his homelessness in the world. Mm -hmm. I think the parent-child metaphor is really instructive in many ways. Um, it's not the only way we know about God, but it, it, it's instructive, I think. And how how often do parents hurt when their children hurt? Mm -hmm. If there's when there's a breakup, heck, when they skin their knees, when they hurt worse. I mean, how, how often as we have, have we as parents said? knowing better that this is not how the way the world works, but we say, God, let me have that pain. Mm -hmm. It's it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a picture of love, but it's also a picture of tragedy that God takes this so personally. Well, that, that's just one of the places I, I continue to get hung up here. Well, and to, to, to carry that further, not just when a child gets a, you know, a bruised knee or a scratch on the knee mm -hmm. or when but when the child becomes a teenager and young adult and is determined, I've got to find my own way. Yeah. You know, whether that's a, just, you know, in some cases, an outright rebellion, forget you, I don't want anything to do with you, mom, mm. dad, I'm going to do everything, or just a normal child, but who is going to be a young adult, but they're going to make mistakes and parents can see it before it happens because we've experienced it. We've lived through it. And, and, well, you know, if I could give you some advice, don't give me any advice. I know what I'm doing. They, and then, you know, <laughs> make horrible mistakes and, and you hurt with them and you hurt for them. Uh, I like that. I like drawing it back away from a, not so much a lover analogy, which it is, but also a parent child, because that's, mm. it's like, we can't help ourselves. We've got to figure things out on our own. <laughs> yeah. And not to make light of it, but it, it was a sad and sobering day when I realized I could have saved myself a lot of heartache if I'd just done the things my parents told me to do. Exactly. But that's not the way it works, is it? Okay, but I'm going to push here for a minute. Isn't this how God made us? Yes. Like, oh, God, Seth, like yeah. Seth will say the basic when you get to the Garden of Eden, the whole story of being pushed from the garden is God expecting children to grow up and get out on their own. It, well, and I mean, I love the garden story for a thousand reasons. Um, related to this, they could not do the command God gave them until they left the garden. And that was be fruitful and multiply. That did not happen in the garden. It happened outside of the garden. So like I... I don't, I think all the things we're saying are true. I'm not saying they're wrong, 
And God made us to grow in this way. God made us to, to grow in stature and wisdom with men and with God, right? If we want to go to that gospel passage, Jesus even had to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So it actually kind of weirdly brought to, to mind that idea of, um, Rumspringa, am I saying that correctly? In the oh, the Amish, yeah, in the Amish yeah. community. So, like yeah. the the children when they become teenagers are encouraged to go out and experience the world outside of their um, Amish community, um, so that they can then make a choice: Do I want to live outside of my Amish community, or do I want to live with? in the bounds, the boundaries of that community. Um, and I think there's a really high success rate of people coming back. Like, I think that many of the teenagers who go and do that do return to live in those more simple ways. And so I, I don't think that there is necessarily something wrong with us pushing against, but I do think that God hopes that as we are finding our own way, that we live in particular ways so that we don't become uprooted maybe, or so that we, we, be, we remain tethered even mm, as mm. we are pushing out and pushing the boundaries and pushing beyond. Right. Because I, I think that there's something beautiful in that part of humanity and maybe I'm just saying that because I have a 15 year old right now who's doing it. And I'm saying that to make myself feel better. I can own that possibility, <laughs> but I think like that's a part of who we are when we use that part of ourselves to, when we try to say that that's bad or it's wrong, I think we're, I think we miss something. No, I, I love what the you're end doing. of what I know. So y'all have to pick it up from here. And I, make yeah. it all I love what you're better. doing because you're reminding us that all of these images that we use throughout scripture and all these ways that we use to talk about who God is and who we are, none of them in and of themselves are perfect. True, and none yeah. of it now. Okay. It helps to look at it this way. Right. Okay. Right. Here it helps to look at it this way, but all of them together are right. And all of them together are still incomplete because mm -hmm. it's it's mystery, and and we do need you you do need to push back and call us to another analogy sometimes, um, so that we're not because our problem is we want to get stuck on one analogy and this is it. Mm. Um, so thank you, Nikki. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So I mean, yes, we are imperfect, broken people, cracked cisterns, to use the language of of this chapter uh, of Jeremiah. And so I think I think it both breaks God's heart when we rebel, but God also knows that's the way it is. I think you said the way the way God designed us, and and I think that acceptance is part of why we see God throughout the prophets and into Jesus's time continually renegotiating the covenants. Yes. Like, okay, you couldn't yes, do it yes, that way. Yes, Let's yes, try yes, it this yes, way. Yes. 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 It's, it's, uh, God says, you know, I, uh, of course you're not going to be able to keep the covenant. Let me try it this way. Let me try it this way. Yes. You know? Um, and so there's, there's an, there's an understanding, even if it's, it's hard for God. Cause I think, I think God desires 
a dynamic relationship, not a robotic one with us. Yeah. We're and so in- this is what you get, maybe. We're getting into like big macro level theology here because, right, this is what Jacob does. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Rabbi Seth is always saying, man, the, the Hebrew tradition is you're supposed to fight with God. You're right. supposed to argue. Right. You yeah. are supposed to rebel and push back. Right. <laughs> okay. So, and I love the Jacob story. I can't ever pick a favorite, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely up there in the top. I don't know how many, um, but what I love about that Jacob's story, and I think it's instructive here, is so often, right? So Jacob leaves um, home. He goes off on his own because he's tricked his brother and his brother wants to kill him. And when he goes out, he meets God. He meets God in a dream. Um, and every time he meets God, he has this kind of, I, I think of it as like, he's talking to God as if they're walking next to each other so that he doesn't have to look God in the eye. And he's like, okay, hmm. yeah, that's the faith of my father. Um, do this for me, and then I'll do that. And there's this very much of like dealing with God side to side, which is the way that he dealt with his father and his mother and his brother and his uncle. It's just the way that he traveled through life at the beginning. But then he gets to that point where he wrestles with God. And I think it's the first time Jacob that that Jacob actually meets his adversary on a level ground and meets them face to face, eye to eye, and is honest about where he is. And, And I wonder if even in like this part of ourselves where God created us to push back and to, to, to push the boundaries and to try different things that so often because of what we do as humans and shame people for doing those things. So like when we shame people for, for living out loud or being different or pushing the boundaries, we essentially tell them they're not worthy. And so that when we meet God and in this way, we feel like we're not worthy. And so that's when we take the garbage instead of the gift or the compost instead of the crown, going back to what Daniel said. If we could live into that part of ourselves that's a little more antagonistic, if we're honest about it, and if we realize that living that way does not remove our worth, it does not take away for God something of who we are. Mm. Does that make sense? What I was trying to say? Yeah. And I don't, I'm not keep pulling at the Jacob story, but I love that scene by the river Jabbok with throughout the struggle, the all night struggle. Mm -hmm. He, he may walk away with a limp, but he walks away with a blessing too. Yeah. 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 There's, there's blessing in that too. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that, the rigid theologies that we create, the rigid religious structures that we create to say, this is right, this is wrong, mm-hmm. and don't do this and don't do that, that they're cracked cisterns and cannot hold water? I think that is what the, I the, said. You well, just said it way better than I did. The full <laughs> fountain of the living water yeah. flows through everything. I do think that's what I just said, but you said it way more concise and better. (laughs) Well, I'm just quoting Jeremiah. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I think that's right. I think 
I think we are agreeing on this. I think what Nikki was probably pushing back on, if if I may put words in your mouth, and which I was resonating with, was the appropriate rebellion against our interpretation. Yes. Uh, yes. Rather than the yeah, us, us saying, you know, God provides this fountain living living stream, and we say, nope, this is the little the little rain puddle that you got to stay within. Right. And God said, no, 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 that's not what I, you know, yes, yes, yes. And so, and so we, in, in that respect, Mm. we ought to encourage and bless folks who push back and say, God has called me to live differently. I don't need to be ashamed of who I am. I love it when y'all help me understand the thoughts that are in my head. (laughs) Y'all are so good at that. Thank you. That I'm is just, exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. And yeah, that. So in, in, in current Christianese, the big church talk right now. So what we're saying is Jeremiah is giving his blessing to deconstructing because we're just deconstructing the broken cisterns. Yeah. It, it is a time of, I think... While we talk about how stressful these days are and how much change there is and how much stress there is and anxiety, there is also opportunity for blessing. There is opportunity for growth. There is opportunity to rethink things. Because, I mean, if you study Christian history itself, I mean, certainly we see in the scriptural narratives an incredible set of journeys of God's people, trying to figure out what does it mean to walk with this God? What does it mean to struggle with this faith? What does it mean to live these lives? And this story continues for us to think that somehow we've got it figured out or that a certain way of thinking and doing, we've got it settled. That really is to block off this fountain of God that blesses us and that wants to bless us. So I guess I do hope that this is a season for our churches, for us together to be both thinking about, you know, what what have we missed? Mm. What is there that God is unveiling even now that we haven't noticed yet, that we might be noticing more than we have before? I, I know for me coming through this pandemic and this season, there are I can read the same scripture, and it there are things that jump out that never jumped out before. Amen to that. I mean, really? Yeah. And even studying these passages from the prophets, I'm seeing them in a whole new light. Yeah. That maybe that is part of this journey and struggle that we're on that's going to lead somewhere that a generation from now, people are going to look back and say, you know, I'm glad there were some people willing to think about it anew. And to let God move anew among us and creatively among us. So, yeah, we're at 35 minutes, but <laughs> it's been, it's, I really didn't want to slow down this conversation. It's, it's just been so good. And I hope for the groups that are going to be meeting around this text, let yourself think freshly about the ways we interact with God and we let God lead us and inspire us because God's not finished yet. Mm. Mm. Thank you all for this really good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum 
at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.